0: as we come to our text today, my grandma, Belle, she used to have this saying, she would say, God is cute. God is cute. Now, what did she mean by that? When I think of God, the first thing that comes to my brain is not cute, Um, but she would say God is cute. And that is that from, from time to time, God does these little God things that are cute, I guess you could say. Um, and, and so for example, Today, we're in James chapter 5. Now, I had no idea 10 months ago when we were planning this series and we were laying it out. I had no idea, number one, that we would be a debt-free church. I had no idea that we would be celebrating that on today, May the 6th, 2018. But when we laid it all out 10 months ago, it just so happened that today in our text, James chapter five, what James is going to talk about is how we handle our finances. And so to that, my grandma would say, isn't God cute? (laughs) Today's text has to do with one of your favorite things in the whole world that you hate to be talked about in church, money. Today's text is about money. Can you say money? Money. How we handle our finances, how we handle our money. And so let's read James chapter 5. We'll read all the verses, just six quick verses this morning. James begins to address the rich. Now remember, James is... The half-brother of Jesus, he saw Jesus live, he watched his life, he he heard his teaching, he became a follower of Jesus, became a leader in in the church, very influential, died for Jesus as a martyr. James is writing to encourage us Christians to, to live our lives the way Jesus lived his life. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl. For the miseries that are coming upon you. Again, James, very encouraging passage. Thank you very much. (laughs) Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Wow. I bet you didn't think you were going to hear that passage when you got up this morning to come to celebrate what God has done. So James, he he begins to address these wealthy people, these people who are, are very rich but they use their wealth in an ungodly way they're oppressing the poor they're, they're they're withholding wages from um the the people who are working for them don't raise your hand but have you ever had your wages withheld have you ever worked a job and and had the person not pay you I said don't raise your hand I didn't mean say amen and yes <laughs> hopefully your boss doesn't come to church. With you. I mean, hopefully he does, but anyway. Um, they're, they're perverting justice, right? They're, they're using their wealth to influence the oppression of the poor. It, it says that they've even committed murder through this process. So he begins to address these people and he says, Listen, guys, the, the, the cries of, of the people that you have oppressed, God has heard their cry. And so if you've ever had your wages withheld, if you've ever been um, mistreated by somebody who had power and influence and wealth, God has noticed. Your your plight, your, your, your problem, it has not gone on notice to God. He has seen it. And James reminds these people that God has taken notice and one day they will stand before him. And he will repay them for what they have done. There will be a, a steep price to pay when he judges them accordingly. They have misused their finances. They have misused the, 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 the assets that God had entrusted to them. And they will stand before him because of it. Now, this passage is, is one of, of many passages, many in the Bible, that address money and finances and riches and wealth and, and how we work and, and, and the, the assets that we have, the possessions that we have. The Bible has a lot to say about how we use our money. In fact, money was one of Jesus' favorite topics to teach on. In fact, depending on how you, you, you count it or how you slice it up, you could say that money was the, the, the topic Jesus taught on the most. The most. Now, why would that be? You don't want to say the answer, but tell me, why would Jesus talk about money a lot? We all worship something. Thank you, Jeff. For, for a lot of people, money is their God. A lot of people out there. Let's start with that. For a lot of people out there, money is their God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Right, right. And so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about money today. Now, I can sum up for you, I think, everything the Bible has to say about money and how Christians should view money and how Christians should handle money with one word. One word word. That is the word stewardship. Can you say stewardship? Stewardship. A steward, what is a steward? A steward is someone who manages, looks after, or tends to something that doesn't belong to them. You see, God owns it all. God owns it all. What does all mean, pastor? What does all mean in the Greek? I'm not sure if I agree with that. It means all. God owns everything. Why does God own everything? Because He made it. He created it. God owns it all. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm chapter one, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. God owns it all. Everything. God owns everything. And so what does that make us? If God owns everything, what does it make us, what does it say about me, the possessions that I have? How am I to view them? Well, the Bible teaches us that because God owns everything, what I have, He has entrusted to me. He has entrusted to me. Everything you have, you have because God has given it to you, everything, even the the tiny crumb of Oreos at the back of your refrigerator, it's yours because God has entrusted it to you, your house, your car, your money, your retirement, your lack of retirement, all of it, God has entrusted to you. Because he owns it all. So what I have, it still belongs to God. Say that. It belongs to God. It belongs to God. Now, true or false, we probably don't think that way all the time. True. true. Okay, some honest people here in church today. We we don't often think or or. or view everything that we have as 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 belonging to God but it really does and can can you see how thinking this way and seeing life this way would radically change the way you see your possessions the way you see your money the way you see your house the way you see your job true or false it changes the way you see those things of course it does so if I am a a steward God has entrusted things to me. That means that they still belong to him. That means that he cares how I use what he entrusts to me. I'll say that again. Because it belongs to God, he cares what I do with it. So in scripture, we see the parable of the talents, right? Where the master invests. Three different uh, levels of talents to to three different servants. To the the five-talent guy and the three-talent guy and the one-talent guy. and The five-talent guy invests it and multiplies it. And the the Lord, when he returns, he's very pleased with that. Same with the three-talent guy. The one-talent guy, what did he do? He buried it in the ground and did nothing with it. God wasn't so happy with that guy. He said, take his one talent and give it to the guy that's got Tim. And you're fired, to quote our president. You're fired. He got him out of here. Now, that's not even to say about the people. Like, like the, one, the guy still had one talent. Like he wasn't net negative $100,000. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm like getting into your business now. Like he still had a positive net worth. And he didn't use what God gave him. He didn't steward it well. So I want you to see God really cares. He really cares about how we handle what he's entrusted to us. He cares. That's why he talks about it so much in, in his word. Now, we tend to think about uh, wealth or money or, or people with resources. We tend to think in two categories. We tend to think rich and poor. And here James addresses the rich. But I want you to know there's, there's two other categories. And that combined, they, they, they lay out a grid for us of who we, what category we can be in. It's not just rich and poor, it's also ungodly and godly. And so I can handle my finances in a way that that brings God glory, that honors him, that glorifies him, that is in accordance with his word, no matter how much I have, whether I have a lot or a little. And so can you think of somebody ungodly and rich um, in the Bible? Yeah, the rich young ruler, right? The rich young ruler had a a lot of wealth, came to Jesus, and he was unwilling to to part with his finances and follow Jesus. He he was unwilling to surrender his finances to the Lord. And ultimately, that means that he was serving not the Lord, but he was serving his money. And so his wealth ended up not being a blessing to him, but a curse to him the rich young ruler Uh, I put King Herod here Um, most of the kings in the Bible were very wealthy and and very ungodly very ungodly now can you think of somebody ungodly and poor in the Bible can you think of anybody Esau that's what I came up with I came up with Judas this might be a stretch Um, But we do know that that the disciples, they left everything to follow Jesus, and that Judas was regularly stealing from um, the ministry fund that Jesus had, and that ultimately he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which wasn't really that much money. And so I don't know if he was hard up for cash or what, but it might be a stretch. Maybe he wasn't poor. But I put Judas there. He's definitely ungodly, so I at least got half of it right. Can you think of somebody godly and rich in the Bible? A lot of people. King David would be one. Abraham. That's the one I... Abraham was just incredibly wealthy and incredibly godly. So this issue is not if, if you're rich, you're ungodly. That, that's what I'm trying to show you. you can be very wealthy and still very godly. Amen. Amen. If not, then Abraham, King David, King Solomon, who was, you know, he had his issues, we all do. Um, can you think of somebody who's godly and poor? I put Jesus. How about Jesus? Didn't have a house, didn't have a car, um, he walked everywhere. He went. He, he said foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. Apparently, when he died, his only earthly possession was his robe that the, the, the guards gambled over. So he, here's what I want you to see. Um, and um, all the apostles would fit into there. The Apostle Paul would fit into there. A lot of people were, were didn't have material possessions, but were very godly in the Bible. So the issue is here, here. The issue is not the amount. The issue is the heart. We tend to think about money in terms of zeros, or or you know black. You know, we're in the black or we're in the red or or how much we have. It's really not the way God thinks about it. Why? Because God owns it all. Hello, money is not an issue for God. God is not beholden by money. He owns the whole earth. How many of you know, if you own the whole earth and the whole universe, the the ones and zeros, it it doesn't really matter. God doesn't look at that, but God does look at the heart. And so the issue is, no matter how much I have, I need to use it in a godly way. And that's what the majority of what the scriptures teach us about money and how to handle money. Not just I need to get more of it, but I need to use it. I need to steward it in a way that brings glory to God and that is in accordance with his word. So just to really nail this point home, money is not evil. Money is not evil. Some people mistakenly think that it is because they misuse this quote from 1 Timothy where the Apostle Paul says in in chapter 6 that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil but money in and of itself it's just paper it's not it's amoral amoral. thank you it it doesn't have a moral component to it. it it's it's no more good or evil than the shoe that I'm wearing on my foot now I can use my shoe for for good I can use it to take the gospel to people I can use it for, for bad. I can kick people in the rear end. You know, I can do it. But, but what determines how it is used is it's not the shoe. It's, it's the heart of the person wearing it. And it's the same with, with money. But the Apostle Paul also writes in that passage, he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. How many of you brought something into the world? Nope. I've been there. I've watched all four of my babies born. They came out with nothing. (laughs) They came out with a wallet. (laughs) You know, they, they came out with nothing. And you came out with nothing. You came into the world with nothing. And we cannot take anything out of the world. Listen, when you leave this place... You leave the way you came. Right? You can't like... There's not ATMs in heaven where they're like withdrawing. It's not the way it works. You brought nothing in, you can take nothing out. So this begins to transform the way we see our possessions, the way we we see the the money, the, the, the material things that we have. He says, if we have food and clothing, I think that's us. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But listen to this, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. He says those who desire to be rich, those who, who are living their life for this material wealth and possessions, that, that's, that's different from I want to be a good steward with what God has given me. I want to multiply it. I want to invest it. Not so that I can, you know, live the lifestyles of the rich and famous, but that I can advance the kingdom of God. There's a huge difference. And it's an issue of what are you living for? And so Jesus talked about seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. It's not a sin to have money, it's not a sin to have wealth. It is a sin. To live for it. It is a sin to to make that the pursuit of your life. Paul says it's going to lead you into temptation and into much pain in your life. But you can use your money to glorify God. You can. You can. He writes, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17, as for the rich in this present age charge them not to be boastful or proud nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but to set their hopes on god who richly provides us with everything to enjoy they are to do good and to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life if you pursue only money to have money to live some kind of lifestyle you're not going to take hold of life you're going to take hold of something that is fleeting something that is promising you something that cannot deliver but if you will view yourself as a steward and use the resources that God has given you to, to bless others, to expand his kingdom, to, to, to invest into missions. Man, you will actually take hold of etern- You will take hold of life. And he says you are laying up for yourself treasure in heaven. Good rewards for when we do enter into the kingdom of God. Does this make sense this morning? So again, it's not an issue of how much, it's an issue of the heart. And that we can use our money to glorify God. So, real quick today, I'm going to give you Christians. We're Christians here today, right? I'm going to give you a list, all right? A list of how the Bible teaches Christians to handle their finances And how to give their finances away. Okay. I can see you're all really excited about this list. (laughs) How to steward the finances God has given us. And this is a short list. This is a summary list. Now, I want to say that this church scores an A-plus on this list. I want to tell you that the, I believe the, the people in this room, that you, you, you could check this list off as we go oh, down. Yeah. Um, so I must be saying this for the people watching on Facebook Live. <laughs> <laughs> but you can use this list as a, maybe like a report card or, um, or a little survey to say, well, how, how am I doing in these areas? I believe the majority of us are doing very well, but there might be one or two areas where there's place for growth. So I'm gonna put them all up there at the same time, and you can just check them out. I've got the, the, this is where in KBI, people pull their phones out and take a picture of the screen. So if you wanna do that now, you're more than welcome to, I'll smile. and suck in my gut. So, Number one, Christian giving should be sacrificial. David said, I will not offer to the Lord something that doesn't cost me anything. That, that when I give, I should feel it. It should be sacrificial. It should be a sacrifice. Number two, Paul says that Christian giving, it proves your love. Jesus put it this way, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you love the Lord, if you love his kingdom, if you love his church, you will have no problem giving to it. Giving is to be in in accordance with your means. That means if you make $15,000 a year, God is not expecting you to give $100,000 in tithe. Giving is in accordance with your means. That's why, remember the, the, the widow who came and gave her two mites, which was A fifth of a cent. Jesus saw her offering and said she had given more than everybody else because she gave her all. So giving is in accordance with your means. Christian giving should be generous. It means I don't, when I give, the ushers don't have to like try the money out of my hands. (laughs) That means when the offering plate comes by, I'm not making change. You sit in the back so there's, there's plenty of, you know, that's why you don't sit in the front. You sit in the back so when the plate comes by, there's enough in there to make change, you know. <laughs> um, it should be cheerful. Yeah. It's a joy to give. It's a joy to sow into the kingdom of God. It's a joy to be able to take something that is of temporary value and invested into the kingdom of God, invested into this local church that's reaching people for Jesus to take what is temporary and have invested into something that is eternal. It should be cheerful. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. So that means that when the offering plates pass by, everybody should be smiling. This is so wonderful that I can give today. That God has put something into my hand today that I can invest into his kingdom. Let's see. One, two, three, four, six, six, number six. It should be regular. What does regular mean? What does that mean in the Greek, pastor? Well, if you went to your doctor, never mind. Um, (laughs) Regular means it should be reoccurring at a consistent way in a consistent fashion. It shouldn't be, yeah, brother, I'm a cheerful giver. Back in 1987, (laughs) let me tell you about how I helped Martin Fessler on the mission field. It was amazing. It should be consistent. It should be regular. It should be an ongoing part of your life, regular. That's why I put these verses there so you can go and look them up and be mad at God, not me. (laughs) It should be to your local church. Now, you can, can you give to, you know, so-and-so doing such-and-such such on whatever TV station? Yes, absolutely. But I do believe the Bible teaches the principle that we should sow first into where we are fed and blessed. And so that would be your local church. Man, I love all the amens. This is good. We're going to have a good offering today. Praise the Lord. <laughs> And I put this last one in here just as a bonus. (laughs) Just because it's in the Bible. I mean, look it up. Christian giving should support your pastors. And I, amen. Wow, all these cheerful givers in here. And I want to thank you for being a church that does support your pastors. And we are very blessed to be able to invest our lives really into this church. Um, We do, Heather and I consider it a great honor and blessing. Um, I know so many people that um, are not able to work full time in ministry and that's their heart. And uh, I do consider it a great blessing. So um, in conclusion today let's go back to James. What does James put into focus as he's addressing these people that have used funds in an ungodly way. He puts eternity in focus. He he says, listen, the the way you live now will have ramifications in the life to come. When you stand before God, what you do today, it matters. It really does. It really does matter. And, And what you do today will have echoes throughout all eternity. And so he puts eternity in focus. And I think that we, too, as Christians, we, we would be better served if we lived our lives more with eternity in focus, with, with realizing that I'm passing through. I have a moment of time. I can use my life to have an eternal impact. It, it really makes us pause and it makes us reconsider Am I being a good steward of what God has entrusted to me? Am I being a good steward? And how can I grow in this area? I believe if we would take time, if we would pray, if we would ask the Lord, that he would show us ways that we could steward our finances well. I'm, and, and I want to go back real quick to, to, to 1 Timothy 6 because... Paul said that the rich, and FYI, that's everybody in here. If you live in America, you are rich. You you are richer than 98% of the rest of the world just by living in this great country. So when, when, when Paul writes and James writes and they address the rich, you know who they're talking to? Me and you. We live better than kings in their day. We have running water. We have toilets, and showers, and deodorant. Like, we live like kings. But he, he writes and says that, Paul, Paul back in 1 Timothy, he says that God has given us blessings to enjoy. To enjoy. So part of, of stewardship is to enjoy some of the blessings that God's given me. And so that means I don't have to carry a burden, you know, oh my God. I, I, bought a, I bought a coffee and there's kids dying in Africa and blah, 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 blah. No, because God has given me my s- some of my blessings to enjoy as well. But am I being a good steward with everything that he's given me? Am I spending all of my money on coffee? Well, that wouldn't be good. Am I spending 98% of it on? No, that would be bad. So it's this issue of of being a good steward, of enjoying what God has entrusted to me, however much it is, and using it in a godly way keeping eternity in view so for those who have used their resources to abuse others like James wrote about there will be judgment but for those who use their resources to bless others there will be great rewards when you give today you're laying up for yourself what the Bible says treasure in heaven that doesn't fluctuate with the stock market or twitter whatever is going on in the world, that there is a treasure laid up for you that will never fade away. In closing, I want to share one verse with you, 2 Corinthians 8-9. It says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus left the riches of heaven to come and to be born into poverty, to be born into obscurity, to be born into humanity in a family that was so low on the totem pole that they rejected a woman in labor and made her have her baby in a barn. you got to be really low on the totem pole to refuse Help to, to refuse to help uh, a woman in labor. Yeah, I've got this barn over here you can use. Jesus was born. He left the riches of heaven. He came and he, he lived a life of poverty so that through his life of sacrifice, we who were poor in sin could inherit his riches. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news about what Jesus has done for us. Is that in Christ, we have all been made rich. In Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places today. I have it. I own it. It's a part of who I am. We need to not live our lives as Christians with this poverty mentality Because our Father in heaven owns it all. And he promises to provide for our needs according to his riches and glory. And so I'm trusting in him because he owns it all. And I want to be a good steward of what he's entrusted to me.